Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. All right, guys. Um, last week, Andrew told us uh, it was Communion Sunday, but we kicked off Psalm 23. Um, if you're staying in with what we're talking about, so the I, last week, this week, uh, and next week, I believe we're preaching from some psalms. Um, and so today, I get to the luxury of talking about Psalm 24. Um, and so I would like to just read it, and then we'll say a prayer, and we'll get into some other unpacking it. So turn your Bible. It's going to be our, basically our foundational scripture, the text that we're going to build the rest of it from, learn from. So Psalm 24, if you would. I'm, you can read along with me. You can read out loud, read quiet. It's probably weird if we all read out loud because everybody's on a different pace. But So I'll just read. Just read the psalm already, Jeremiah. All right, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to uh, gather and read it. Um, You know I have prayed over this like crazy. Um, To almost discomfort, Father to almost like where I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to get up and say something that you wouldn't want me saying. Um, So I do, I ask. Help this to make sense. Move us, Lord. Change us, Lord. As Jonathan said, let our ears be open, our hearts be receptive. Let the word of God do what the word of God does. Change us. Grow us, mature us challenge us call us up call us into a relationship a deeper understanding of who you are and what you want to do in us and through us Lord please do that this is your time Lord be glorified in Jesus name amen All right. okay guys here's the deal we're done. <laughs> Just read it and go. Um, no, what you need to know is Psalm 22, 23, 24, possibly 25. When you read Psalms, there's some prophetic stuff in them. That means it's speaking about shadows and types. You'll see so often in the Old Testament, it's, it's scripture, it's stories, it's things that are happening, and they're speaking of Jesus. They're prophesying uh, of, of the, the Messiah, of the chosen one, of the king, as you even see there at the end of Psalm 24, king of glory. 
Uh, and Psalm 24 sets that up pretty easy. So this Psalm, uh, what Andrew read last week, Psalm 23, we're going to read that again today too. But bear in mind, these, David wrote these for then and there and for situations that were going on, but the Holy Spirit had his, had his little hand in there back in the day. So as David was writing these, these were also prophesying of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, my Savior and, and our Savior. Um, Psalm 24, um, this was also, the, I like this kind of stuff too. Psalm 24 was written about a thousand years, of course, by David before Jesus walked the earth. So this, this Psalm that we're reading and going through this morning, it's, it's a little over 3,000 years old, okay? So I, I don't know, I just feel like when I'm, when I'm like, oh my gosh, I got, a, I got something from David that's over 3,000 years old, and, I, and we get to look at it, that just feels amazing to me. That's a privilege. That's a beautiful thing because you're like, thank you, God, that we have this word, that we have these words, and we have so much in the word of God. Um, so don't make light of that. that. This is old stuff, but good stuff, and it's, it's, it's important to us. Um, Psalm 24 breaks down into three parts, and you'll see this. I'm going to break them down. Basically, the first part is God is sovereign. So if you're taking notes, it's God's sovereign, God's sovereignty. The second one is how should we approach God? And the third one is anticipating the Lord's presence or his coming. Anticipating the Lord's presence or his coming. So let's unpack it. So go back with me to Psalm 24, 1 and 2. This is going to be the greater push of the message. So don't freak out if I go a little long on point number one. Uh, and be like, oh my gosh, he's got three points and he went. 25 minutes on the first one. Don't freak. Or, you know, hey, you, wh what do you guys got to do today? Let's just make this happen. Let's just stay all day, right? <laughs> yeah, woohoo! Um, but I, I, I do want to emphasize this, that the Lord had put on my heart to really, really talk about sovereignty a little more than I would have liked to, but I really feel like the Lord wanted me to do this, so I'm going to do it. So Psalm 24, 1 and 2, let's read it and let's unpack it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What he's really saying is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you will see this so often with David's writings. God's in control. God gets the final say. God is all-powerful. God gets his way and his will no matter what mankind thinks or does or thinks he has. That transfers to this fancy word called sovereign or sovereignty. Sovereignty basically means supreme power and authority. Did you know that God has supreme uh, power and authority? Do you pray and think, meditate and read knowing that God has supreme power and authority over everything. That's, and it's hard because when you turn on the TV and you see what's going on in the world and you see how bad things are, it, it can rise questions or raise questions where you're like, if God has supreme power authority, he's not doing so good or something like that. Okay, okay? And that's a deeper conversation on why bad things happen. I'm not going to explain everything. But the big idea that David wants you to get, that I want you to get, and that I, you have to grasp is God is all-powerful. And nothing, nothing wins but him. He gets the final say, he gets everything. 
So I wrestled with this quite a bit, if I'm honest, because um, my background, as many of you know, and I don't want to say Pentecostals don't believe in sovereignty, but my background's pretty Pentecostal, maybe even some extreme charismatic. No, not maybe. There is some extreme charismatic. Uh, I went to some televangelist Bible college, uh, some word of faith, okay? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But if you know what I'm talking about, there's an extreme view, uh, and it doesn't fall so, it's kind of like we control God and we dictate what God does and doesn't do. That is kind of my background. So you can imagine for me, for probably about the first 15 years of doing ministry, preaching and leading and and stuff, I was probably more on that camp. Um, Probably the last 10, probably 10, 12 years, I've been more into, it's okay to say God is sovereign. It's okay. That doesn't squash out miracles, signs, and wonders. That doesn't eliminate the power and the presence of God or praying through or seeing these supernatural things happen. Um, Anyways, so this is my thoughts. Now, bear in mind, I know I'm rambling a bit, but these are my thoughts. Listen to what I'm saying. I don't normally like to read my thoughts, but this is important stuff. And I believe when we talk sovereignty, this positions us so often on how we approach God, how we pray, how we ask for things. So this is very important. It's very important to my heart. So please listen to my, my thoughts here. Uh, and I might even come back to a couple of them, but this is my thoughts on, on sovereignty. If you're not careful, sometimes sovereignty can get cold, harsh, and makes God look to be someone I don't see in the person of Jesus. I think if not handled carefully, sometimes Christians can accept lies, brokenness, bondage, sickness, defeat, and death packaged in the lie that they've believed in God's sovereignty or God's will. Do you guys hear that? I'm going to read that again because this is important to me. I really, really mold this over, and this is not just Jeremiah trying to be you know, deep. This is just my honest thoughts. So I'm going to say this part again. If you're not careful, sometimes sovereignty can get cold, harsh, and makes God look to be someone I don't see in the person of Jesus. I think if not handled carefully, sometimes, and I underline sometimes, Christians can accept lies, brokenness, bondage, sickness, defeat, and death packaged in the lie that they believe that they think it's God's will for them. However, the other side, if we go too far the other way with a lack of God's sovereignty, sometimes it can make God look confused, not omnipotent or all-knowing. God can look subordinate to our wills or, or, or bows to us and what we want. If you're not careful, gentle, um, and spirit-led, we will judge each other on why some receive and others don't. Puff up in pride or feel beat down in defeat. Lord, why not me? Why not my situation? Why did you do that miracle there and not in mine? Why did you show up and heal her but not my wife or my husband? And we can end up, and, and then if you're from my background, it would be like, well, there wasn't enough faith. She didn't have enough faith. They didn't have enough faith because clearly Christ does a faith teaching. He is, if, you, if you read any Jesus, he talks about, you know, your faith makes you whole. Believe, he even says it. Your faith, he, you know, made you heal. Um, so it, 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 you guys see the, do you guys see the tension? Are we, are we tracking? I hope 
Some of you are like, man, yeah, this is, a, this is a situation because if you walk in some churches, they're not gonna talk a lot about God's sovereignty. They're gonna talk more about praying and power and, and, and pressing through, which is good, which is some good. But in the other churches, and I'll say this, in the deeper reformed churches, there's almost a coldness, a callousness of like, God's made up his mind. He's sitting there with his arms crossed and you, why pray? Why ask? Why even evangelize if, if, it's, if it's total election? In, in, and, and you see what I'm saying? I say evangelize. Don't hear it. I'm saying not evangelize. But this is what I'm saying. We can end up, whoa, okay? And I'll say it this way. So as so many other things in learning and growing in Christ, I mean so many other things. We talk a lot about this as elders. The middle ground is often where we need to be. The middle ground is where we need to think, pray, and live. Now, my point today is uh, this is a case study of David. Psalm 24 shows us at the very beginning how David viewed everything. And I want to show you a few scriptures and kind of teach from David's life uh, on how he believed, how he came to the conclusion that God is sovereign, has the final say, uh, and the good and the comfort and the hope in that. Okay? So, Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel 16. Or just watch them put it up there because it's going to be a couple quick scripture grabs here. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The story goes, as, as you guys would know, most of you know, Saul is anointed first king of, of Israel. Okay? Saul's not God's guy, ultimately. He, the spirit leaves him, it's a whole thing. Samuel, the prophet, gets told by God to go out and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. Jesse's being David's dad. So Jesse's dad, or, or Jesse brings all, these, all the chosen sons that he thinks should be king in front of Samuel. And Samuel's like, no, 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 no. Finally gets to the point where he says, do you have any other sons? Talk about being overlooked, right? Uh, and it comes down to this, and, and this is kind of what uh, the Lord said to Samuel, and I like this. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then he goes and blah, 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 kind of like what I said. Now go down to verse 13. This is, this is the point. Then Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him, talking about David, brought David out of the field, out of being a shepherd boy. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Okay? What you see here is David was chosen, elected, picked by God to be king. King David. Really, really cool. Now, what happened is God elected or picked David, but then David's life did not get easy. If you know the story at all, he actually started, you know, he kills Goliath. Uh, he gets put on the army. He's a, he's a heck of a soldier. He kills thousands of people. Saul starts getting jealous of him. He ends up getting ran out, and, he, he has, and, and, and really Saul wanted his life. So there's some, there's some comfort in being picked by God. Partly to say David would have felt the comfort to be picked by God because, think about it, guys, he knew God anointed me, so God's not going to let me die because I'm sure there were many days, many nights that David thought he was going to die. 
at the hand of Saul or at the hand of a, a, in a war or in a battle. So there was some comfort in knowing he was chosen. Now I want to look at 2 Samuel 12. Let's, let's move there now. 2 Samuel 12. And, and this, is, this is probably one of the healthier views of how to pray and seek the Lord in the boundaries of sovereignty. And this will help you, I think. This will challenge you. This will, and, and this is how I think we should approach the Lord and pray. Um, and I know it's Old Testament, it's not New Covenant, but I still think this is, this is such a good way. Because remember, David understood sovereignty, believed in it, built his, his life on it. So I want to look at 15, 12, 15 through 23. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. This is David cheated, got Bathsheba pregnant, Uriah's wife. David ended up having Uriah killed. It's a whole shameful thing for David. David did repent of it, and God was gracious as he is with us and forgave him. But anyway, so it leads us to 16. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. David fasted, went in, lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, this child is dead? He may do himself some harm. So David was really pressing in, really praying, really seeking the Lord to change God's mind, to actually see a miracle, to see a healing. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from earth, washed and anointed himself. Do you see this? Once he found out the child was dead, David arose from the earth, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to the, his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. He knew, guys, that's such a beautiful picture that, that I want to press upon us. And my, like I said, my worry is if you land in the camp of, of God's sovereignty so much, you're like, I, what's the point of praying and pressing and asking God to heal her or heal them or do these things? And you got to learn from David because it's like David understood God is, is sovereign. He has a plan, but I'm going to go do everything in my part to move his heart to save my son. I'm going to press. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask. I'm going to do these things because I know my God's character well enough to know that he is gracious. He is merciful. And all too often he does heal or deliver or set free, but he didn't. So David didn't get angry at God. David didn't write a book on how bad God is to him. He didn't. He got up. He rested in sovereignty. He took comfort in God has a plan, God has a will, and I'm going to rest in it, and I'm going to move on with my life. There's some, there's some hope for us in that. Psalm 23 says it. That now, we, we read it last week, but I want to read it again. 
Psalm 23. Remember, this was David. This was, David just didn't just write this, he believed this. And I think in situations that he went through with, with, what, with losing his son there, this is probably part of the heart, right? This is the type of stuff that he was connected to. We get to kind of read his journal, if you will. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see a trust in David? Do you see that in, that, in Psalm 23? He is comforted by who God is, whether God does what he wants him to do or not. He finds comfort in the Father. He finds comfort. And so let me ask you this. Are you... Christians in the room, are you resting and comforted in God's sovereignty? Are you resting that ever right where you're at in Christ, you're, he loves you. He sees you. He's got you. Are you resting in that? Do you feel that? Charles Spurgeon says, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. I'll say that again, because Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, I like this because, like I said, remember, I don't want you to picture God's just big, cold God that's just going to just shut everything down. That's, and, and especially as we enter into the covenant with Jesus and we're in the New, New Testament, there's something that sovereignty does that I think is that's, that's so beautiful in Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, right, God's plan. God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ or through God. Do you feel that, Christian? Because that's the truth. That's the comfort in it. That's the hope in it. God, God made me a, a son. God made me a daughter. He, I am his, and I will not lose that. He is with me. There is comfort, depth, level that he loves you. And I encourage you to rest in that. I had a friend, and I asked... Um, I'm trying not to cry, but this will be a tough one, guys. Um, I asked our, one of our sound guys, Ryan, it's, a, it's his wife, and, and many of you know last year, Joanna passed away. Joanna, and so being a pastor, walking with people, gosh, guys, it's hard. It's really hard with this kind of stuff because I, I enter their life as a guy. It's like, hey, let's ask for a healing. Let's believe for a miracle because we do serve a Jesus that heals we are continuous. That We do believe in the signs and the wonders. We do. We do pray, believe that faith can move mountains because Jesus said so. We do. 
We want you to ask. We had a healing night Wednesday night and it was, it, we had a great turnout and we prayed for sick people and we're not just praying death. There's this, that's the whole thing that Andrew and I will even joke sometimes. Like you get too far in the sovereignty, someone comes up to prayer and this is a joke. Come, someone will come up and pray. Be like, Man, I got a headache. Well, Lord, give them, help them to die well in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? You're like praying death. We don't pray death. No, and that's what I'm saying. I'm being, being jokey here, but it's like, Pray for hope, pray for healing. And Joanna and, and the people around her, boy, we did. We prayed. And she, Ryan told me last week, kind of was just asking how he's doing with all that. And, and he said she never would say that she was going to die. She was like one of those ladies. That's okay, because she didn't die. <laughs> That'll preach. But anyways, she, once it got to the, the, the closer to the end, she realized that, her cancer was, was getting her and she stopped taking treatment. So then Heather and I went and visited her. Um, and this is where it gets real. Boy, it's tough, guys. When you, uh, when you walk death with people, it, it changes you. You don't come out of that stuff. And many of you know what I'm talking about, especially Christians who are hoping and trusting for a miracle. It's hard. Anyways, I went down to encourage her, to pray over her, Heather and I, and I sat with her, and I asked her, well, kind of honestly, are you mad at God? Because you're, you're not well yet. And it's looking like you're, I mean, they gave her like weeks. And she had no anger towards God. She had total trust and love. She had comfort in sovereignty. She knew. She even kept saying, and Joanna's kind of a bubbly girl. She was kind of like, woohoo, you know, and you're like, are you getting this? You're dying <laughs> in a couple weeks and you're okay? Oh, she was so okay. Guys, that ministered to my heart. I saw something. If I could package that and distribute that to the church, her trust, her comfort, her hope was in Christ and him alone. She said, I would pray and he would tell me. She said this. I'm just gonna come and get you when it's ready, when I'm ready. And I would even, she was suffering painfully and I'd kind of be just classic Jeremiah, say things I probably shouldn't say. And I said, well, all right, why don't you just pray to die? I sound like one of Job's, Job's wife, but I'm like, cause you're suffering. And she said, oh no, Jeremiah, I'm not gonna pray that I die because every day that I'm alive, God has a mission for me and a purpose for me. There's something about the end of life of a believer that I saw, and of course she was 37, in my mind, that's too young, too young. But she trusted God. There was something so powerful, so beautiful, so sovereign that it was Jesus. And it ministered to me. We'd go to minister to her, and other, other Christians in this church would go try to minister, or lift her spirit, or pray with her. And I'm telling you, we all left crying, feeling like we, she ministered to us. She was so free, guys. So trusting Jesus, free from life. Honestly, I think kind of living the way we're supposed to live. We get tangled up with the affairs of this world. We get bound up by the worry and the stress and the bills and life. She was free from that. And she was just like, I'm yours, Jesus, whatever you want. You want to take me today? Take me today. You want to give me another day? I'll serve you. I'll reach out to people. I'll pray with people. I'll do whatever you want. And she lived that because there was a comfort and sovereignty. Now, the other side of the story, and I'm just going to be honest, I don't know how this fits into your theology, but this is, uh, this is the truth. Um, a guy I used to play basketball with, this has probably been about 12 years ago, 
calls me up, says, hey, my mom's dying of cancer. It's in Brookville. And some priest came out, said a bunch of Latin. I don't like that. I don't know what he said. Will you come out and pray for her? And I'm like, absolutely. So I went over to their house and it was hospice set up, the whole room. And I go into the room and she was around 50 some years old, dying of cancer, weeks to live. And uh, her name was Kathy. And I'm like, okay, Lord, here we go. And so I walk into her room and I ask her, Kathy, how you, how, what, what are you feeling? Just talk to me. And this is the honest to God truth. She says, I feel like the devil is clawing on my feet and God is pulling on my, my body up on the top. And there was no comfort. There was no rest. So I took her through some salvation stuff. And I talked to her. I said, hey, listen, you know, if you got out of this bed perfect, and of course I prayed healing too. But, but I said, if you get well, would you serve Jesus diligently and, and obey him and follow him the rest of your Yeah, yeah, I would. And I prayed and I led her into the repentance and being born again and trusting the Lord and just made sure it was clear and made sure she understood. And she prayed and she cried and she said, she looks at me and she says, this is such a mom, she says. And all of her kids were in the room. And she says, but what about them? And I said, well, they just heard the gospel, so pray for them. <laughs> they have no excuse anymore. They just heard the truth that Jesus loves you, loves them. He died for their sin. Receive it through faith and walk with him. There was, but I'll be honest with you, at that very beginning, there was no comfort. There was no comfort in sovereignty. She didn't, she was not, she was apart from the Father. She was apart from Jesus, and she was headed towards condemnation and suffering. And that was the truth. And so, Guys, find comfort in sovereignty. Know him, trust him. Okay, second point. I told you that was a big one, but second point of, of, of Psalm 24 that I believe the Lord would have us kind of dig into, and I'm gonna go a little lighter on this one. You could dive into this so deep, but I won't because of time. Um, read with me uh, verse, Psalm 24, verses three and six, or three through six. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, interpret clean hands with innocent hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul? Lift up his soul is trust to what is false. And who does not swear deceitfully? He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Selah. Now, this part of the, if you broke this one down, this is how should we approach the Lord? And of course, you guys can see clean hands, pure hearts. Here's the big idea. Righteousness and holiness is important to God. We serve a holy God and sin is a problem. And, and, and God, Jesus, died for sin. So what you see here is who is the question? And what I, what I made in my notes is this, is, is well, I want to tell you first the, the, bit of the bit of the breakdown. In David's day, and, and I'm going to go into this in my next point, but it, the Psalm 24, it's tradition, not guaranteed, but tradition says that this Psalm was written as David anticipated the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Israel. 
And and Ark of the Covenant basically had some really cool things from God's power and God's provision of of how he has saved his people, walked with his people, led his people. It was this this holy thing that represented the presence of God. Now, uh, now and through Christ, we're the temple. Now and through Christ, uh, we are um, filled with the Spirit and stuff like that. But back in their day, that was the representation of God's presence, okay? So long story short, actually, it's believed that David wrote Psalm 24 anticipating that the Ark of the Covenant was coming back from the Philistines. It's been with the Philistines for 20 years, and it's coming back to Israel, and he's building this kind of a makeshift temple, but he's still following all the law that Moses wrote. And, and so what really happened is they pre- prepared the, the, the place, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and there's this high priest. And the high priest could only go into the Ark of the Covenant or, or could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year for sin for, and sacrifice. And he, 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 would, he, would, he might die because the place is so holy and so righteous. Um, so as you guys know, if, if the Old Testament, it takes blood to forgive. The shedding of blood is the forgiveness of sins or, or to cover up sin. So that's why there's sacrifice goats. It, it's a culture that we don't understand, to be frank. If we did, I think we would appreciate Jesus a little bit more. Total side conversation there. But anyways, so back to the t- Psalm 24. Here he is. How do we go to the Lord with, with holy hands, clean hands, pure hearts? They used to do it this way. They'd walk up the hill, they'd sacrifice, they would, they would have a high priest, they'd have all this. How do we? doesn't really do us a whole lot of good this morning to study everything they did. I want to talk about how we do it. And you know this is leading to Jesus, as it should. Hebrews 4, 14. So Christ has many titles for us Christians. Savior, friend, brother, God, you know, Prince of Peace, name it. There's, there's, there's tons. We could go on all day with them. One of his titles for us that's significant in the book of Hebrews, if you get a chance, read it. It, it really does break down uh, all the law's requirements and all the high priest. And there is some deep st- things in there. And it's it, about Melchizedek and who the high priest is today and Jesus. So it's really, really cool. And I studied it a lot this week, but the only thing that we're going to talk about is 14 through 16. So anyway, so th- since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So here's the big idea. Jesus made it so we don't have to go over to the holy place, sacrifice anything, have a high priest do this once a year, so we can, one and done, Jesus. That's what Hebrews talks a lot about. He is the propitiation of our sins. He's fulfilled it. He is your high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the point. So I want to say this. When you read Psalm 24 and you go through there and he says, who is going to ascend? Who has clean hands and pure hearts? The who is Christ. The who is Christ. Because you and I don't have a chance without him, especially our Gentile backgrounds. And then he says, let us hold fast our confession. So basically it's through faith. And there's a whole bunch of scripture on that. It's by believing and confessing, period. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is the high priest Jesus. He understands your troubles, your weaknesses, and your situations. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
He understands the sin temptation, the struggle that you're in, that I'm in. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You see what the high priest, our high priest Jesus has done for us? He's not only opened the door that we can get to the Father through him, he's also saying, like encouraging us to have confidence. When you pray, when you approach God, when you mess, do you have confidence? No, we tend to have shame or guilt. He doesn't want to talk to me. No, what Jesus did is so good, so powerful, and so true that you can have confidence to go into the throne room of grace and receive help in time of need. Really think about that this week. When you pray, better yet, when you sin, Make a mistake, and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, forgive me. Ask yourself, am I going into the throne room of grace with confidence? Or am I going in like, oh, he doesn't really love me. He doesn't really care for me. Get rid of that. Go into him with confidence because that's what he's done. Pray with confidence. Seek with confidence. Know that he's got you. Run to him. Don't let anything pull you away. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So now, now longer, no longer is it a throne of, of, of like a temple of blood and sacrifice. Now it's a throne of grace because of Jesus. He tore it. You guys know, he tore the, the, the curtain and he made it so we can get to God. Isn't that cool? I'm hoping you, you, you feel the weight of that. And if you'll study a little bit about what all the legal requirements were, you'll actually start to feel like, Oh, Jesus, thank you for what you did. We didn't have a chance. We didn't have a hope. You did, you made it. And all we have to have is faith in you and what you did and who you are. And now we have confidence in that, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So much, the, the point of, of Psalm 24 there in that part, the clean hands, pure heart. How do you get clean hands and pure hearts, Christians? You receive them. You don't earn them. And that's a big, big weighty thought there. You receive them in Christ. Jesus did it. You believe it. You respond to it. You put trust in his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his gift of the Holy Spirit. He did it. You don't have to do it. That'll stop that legalistic thing. Now, now, now let me be honest. Does God want us to live a holy life? Does that mean just go sin however you want? Heck no. No, 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 no. As 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Okay? So clean hands and a pure heart are still what the Father wants. But you don't get it through sacrifice. You get it through obedience and and, and belief and faith in Jesus. Amen? All right. The, the next and the final point, is I don't want to preach, I'm trying not to preach an hour every time I preach. I'm like, everybody's like, oh my gosh, that goes forever. But anyways, there's, there's such good stuff in this word. Um, all right, flip back if you have to with, with Psalm 24 with me. And let's look now at Psalm 24, 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty and the Lord mighty in battle. Now, here's a cool thing. Remember, David wrote this as the, as the ark was coming back. It's believed to be this. And this is kind of the, the idea that I had read. He kind of wanted the people on the outside of the gates, because Israel, they'd have these gates and they would open it up. And then, that's what he's talking about. And people, people and gates, both lift your heads. But he would want them to yell on the outside, um, who is the king of glory? Uh, or they'd say, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, the king of glory may come in. That was on the outside. On the inside, they'd say, he'd want this, this is what, this is what I read. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up, and, and, and then so then it'd be like, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, and the king of glory may come in. See the guys on the outside saying, let us come in. And then the end people on the inside would say, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. So it, wasn't, it was like an interactive worship song that, that David wrote here. It was like, he expected. It would be like me singing, or you know how, not me singing, but someone singing, and then you sing another part. Um, so he put some thought into it. He put some, some, some real thinking into bringing the Lord's presence into Israel, okay? So remember, as I said, 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant was, was in Philistine possession, so he's bringing it back. Now I'm going to, we're, this is my final point. Is we're going to talk about anticipating the Lord or anticipating how we as Christians are to anticipating, anticipating the Lord's return, how he in his day anticipated the Lord's presence coming into Israel. Okay? So 20 years, the, pres, the Ark, of, uh, Ark of the Lord was in Philistine possession and he's coming up and that's what David's like really thinking here. So I want you to look over now. I'm going to talk about this in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 9. And I'm closing with this final point. Points. There's a couple points here. Don't get too excited. 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 9. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bela, Judah, Bela, Judah, whatever, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who, who, is, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of the, on a new cart. Pay attention to what this is. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Just make a note there. And brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill of Uzzah in Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. And sons of Abinadad, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. You see, this is beautiful. With song and lyles and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals and a bunch of musical instruments. And when they came up to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, and the oxen stumbled. And now, now pay attention here. This is the, the, the cart that they... Ark was on, took a little shimmy, and the anger and, and Uzzah touched it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Okay? So, listen. My points, 
when we're anticipating the coming of our Lord or anticipating the presence of the Lord, what was the big, what's, what's the lesson here? This, do it God's way. They put, if, if, if you study this at all, remember when I said they put this ark on another cart. The Philistines m- traveled God's presence on a cart. But here's the thing. The guys that were in charge of moving the ark are also in charge of studying God's law. And if you study God's law through Moses and the responsibility of the people that move the ark, you're supposed to put it on poles and carry it with men, not with a cart. So really what ended up happening here is these guys said, well, it worked for the Philistines, it can work for us. And so they make this new cart, put God's ark on the new cart, try to roll it, the cart's rolling, Uzzah touches it, he dies. What's this say to us? That God wants us to worship, anticipate, and follow him his way. He is God. He has a right to want it his way. And if you don't, there's death. Well, let me push into that. Well, Jeremiah, if I believe Jesus is one of the Lord's, if I believe Jesus is a God along with others, he's one way to get to heaven. It's not what the Bible says. That would produce death. That's a lie. He's the only way. Christ says that. I am the only way. So do you see what I'm saying? So here, if, if, if you think you can just live a life of sin and no sanctification, no submission, no, no repentance, but all you had to do is raise your hand and say a prayer and you're going to heaven, that's not God's way. Jesus tells us that if you love me, you will obey me. What I'm getting at is we do it today. Just because the sin, sinful people do it, we think we can do it. And that's just not the way it works. Here's what I, I'll challenge you. Know what God expects of you. If you're in Christ, know what he is calling you to. Know what he has called you to live like, walk like, believe like. Know it, believe it, and follow it, and don't play with it. Because it, you could, there's death outside of obedience. So one big fat way to anticipate the Lord's presence and the Lord's return is obedience. Obedience. There's a few things that I think that as you anticipate, we as Christ followers are anticipating his return, aren't we? The early church prayed this all the time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We are to be anticipating the Lord Jesus's return. There's some things we should be busy with in obedience, evangelizing sharing our faith, being salt, being light. We should be busy with discipleship. We should be busy with finding people that are newer in their faith or interested in trusting Jesus and pouring our life into them, walking them through what it looks like to be a believer. We should be busy, obedience. Jesus commands us, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, right? He commands us to do these things. Um, he, we're commanded to gather, to serve, to submit, we're, gather, we're, we're, we're commanded to handle money a certain way and, and sex a certain way and marriage a certain way. We are. So as we anticipate the Lord's return, we should be obedient to what he expects and wants. And if we're not, be careful because death is outside of that. Disobedience produces death. That's real, right? Amen. Nobody said amen. I'm like, you said death produced. You're right. All right. Now look, guys, we'll move forward. 14 through 17. 
14 through 17. And, 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 and this is kind of the big idea. So it sat down at a place. Let me get the place right here. Obed-Edom. David got mad at God, stressed and nervous because his, his, his friend Uzzah died. So David's like, I don't want this in Israel. So the, the ark sat in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the story goes that Obed-Edom's house got like blessed for those three months, like blessings. I don't know what exactly, but I would imagine favor and money and, and God knows what else, maybe property, territory, who knows. But it got blessed because God's presence was there. David hears of this and says, oh my gosh, we got to get this in Israel, right? We got to get it up there. So he's like, go get it and let's do it the right way and bring it up. So this is where we're at in 14 through 17. Um, and David, they're bringing it up. And it says, when, and even in 13, and when they, those took, bore, the, bore the ark of the Lord, had gone six steps, notice that they're carrying it, not rolling it. Did you see that? He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So they were doing a lot of sacrificing. They were doing a lot of like, like oh, what God calls us to or what they call to. 14, and David danced before the Lord and went all of it with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is basically a garment that a priest would wear, not a king, but he put on a priestly outfit and, and, and thinner or whatever. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with, with the sound of a horn. Okay? All right. And, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael... Michael, Michelle, however you want to, it's a girl, but it's like, it's Saul's daughter. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window, saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart, and they brought in the ark of the Lord, set it in its place inside the tent, um, and then David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now, what do you see here? What did David do in front of the presence of the Lord? Worship and praise, this is my points, worship, praise, preparation, and sacrifice. As he anticipated the Lord's presence coming into Israel, as we anticipate the Lord Jesus returning on this earth, we should have worship and praise and preparation and sacrifice. Not sacrifice to get to heaven. Don't hear that. That's been done. So you could even say, maybe take the word sacrifice and remove it and say, have faith. We live as people of faith. But as the word says elsewhere, faith without works is dead. So we live in faith, act in faith. But let me ask you that. How are you doing? Are you anticipating the Lord's return? Number one. Number two, are you living a life of worship, praise, preparation? And faith? Because he is coming back. That's part of the meat of the message of, of, of serving Jesus. It's not something we just do on Sunday, check a box. We should be living a life of worship every day, asking the Lord, how do I prepare? What do you want from me? How do I live expectant of your return? What if he comes tomorrow? What if Jesus ret re returns tomorrow? Are you living fully in? fully sanctified, fully submitted. Are you? Am I? Help us, Lord. And the other thing is here is it, when it comes to worship, you got to get this. This is the, the other thing that worship was abandoned. Worship, now he was actually expressing worship. In his little ephod, he picked up his little priest skirt and they said that he would, he would show his legs, which is 
in Israel in those times, not something you want to do, right? They would say, and so you see his wife gets mad at him and kind of picks on him. And she's kind of hateful about it, if I'm honest. But he picked it up and he would dance and he would dance before the Lord. I don't know how he danced, maybe like that. I don't know. David didn't dance like that. He probably danced real cool. But either way, no, I don't think he did. Here's the point. This is what you got to get. In their day, the worshipers that would dance would not be men. They were women. And you'll see this. They were the women that would dance and worship the Lord. David went out and King David, macho, killing thousands, went out and worshiped the Lord with the ladies. That's humble. That's brokenness. That's saying, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to worship the Lord because the Lord deserves it. Because the presence of God is good. And I know he elected me to be king back in the day. He's given me hope. I could be dead, but I'm not. That's what that culmination of David, I think you see, is he gets to a place where he's like, none of you matter because he put me here. He provided the way. I am king because of him. I am prosperous because of him. I got the Ark of Covenant back because of him. I won the wars because of him. And some of us in our Christianity, that's the point. We should be given some shouts, some praise, some walking with the Lord during the week, not even at church. Some of you, you got, you just, for, just remember what he's done. Mike and I were talking about that this week, how quickly we forget. We're on to the next worry. We're on to the next prayer. We're on to the next need. Remember what he has done. Maybe some of you say, man, my marriage would be trash if it wasn't for him. Remember that. Your kids, I know people in this church, their kids would be dead if it wasn't for the mercy of God but he was gracious and they're alive. And remember, I know people that, that, that would have lost their jobs, that, that would be, be just sicker than a dog, but God has done a work. So as we anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus, remember and worship with abandonment. Don't be, don't be hung up on how it looks or what, what people are gonna think, because here's the truth. This is the reality. And Jesus even says it. They, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. If they persecuted him, servants are not above their masters. If they persecuted Jesus, they're gonna persecute us. And part of the persecution is you Christians are crazy. You give 10% of your money away, I hate that. You honor the government with your, give, with, with, your, with your taxes, this is scripture, you're an idiot. I've been called an idiot by a lot of fellow businessmen. <laughs> it's okay, but it's part of it. I actually made a little list here. Um, well, actually, I want you to look at 20 and 23. And then I land this plane, I close it down. All right, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up, actually. I'm going to have, if, if, Jonathan, if you guys are okay, do that. I think you kind of feel that as we ended here, that uh, king of glory or whatever. What's it called? All hail. <laughs> I said, guys, that's how my brain is with like music songs. Uh, you know the one. All hail King Jesus. Anyways, it's a perfect, perfect fit for what we're talking about here. All right, so look at 20 through 23 with me. And then, I'm, and then I'll stop talking. 20 through 23. And David returned to bless his house. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the Lord of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servant, his female servants, 
See, that's why he was saying he's in front of the ladies, dancing, praising, worshiping, and his wife thought he was just a real punk. I could preach on that, on why she thought that, but we don't, we don't need to go there. As one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself, and David said to Michael, this is what I love, this is what I, we need to hear when it comes to being pre- preparing for the Lord's return. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I love that. Like he's like, oh, you think I'm crazy now? (laughs) Wife, wifey, you think I'm crazy now? You haven't seen anything yet. Then he says, I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Was it the Lord that made it so she couldn't have any kids or was it that David never touched her again? I mean it, that's, that's, there's a debate on that. Like, like he was done with her. <laughs> it's real talk. But anyways, what you see here is, and you, what you have to grasp if you are truly following the Lord, anticipating his coming, living a life submitted to the scriptures, you will look goofy to the world. If you have a hard time with that, just, just you gotta come to peace with that. They will think you're crazy. When you say, hey, can we, when you're at a business meeting and be wise about this and you say, I, give me a day or two to pray about it. They're gonna look at you a little weird. When you're talking about buying a car and you're like, or a house, and the realtor or the, or the, the car dealer, they're going to be, you're going to, hey man, my wife and I are going to pray about it. They're going to look at you like an idiot. But who cares? Because as David knew, you need to know who's got you. Who got you there? Who's behind you? Who's with you? Who gave you the money or the funds or whatever? Remember that. There's, there's these, so for me, these are real things. Coaches, these are real situations in my life that I've been, uh, basically called a goofball for loving Jesus for various ways. Coaches, family, friends, co-workers, other business owners, and even some believers sometimes. Some believers will, will be the first to say, ah, you're just a little bit too serious about God. Why can't you just tone it down, calm it down? That's always part of it. So guys, I close with this, and I would ask you that we close with this one thing. As we worship the Lord, we have, you have, it's 1018. You don't have to get out of here right away. Take a moment and pray. Thank him for sovereignty. Thank him for picking you. If you're not a Christian, ask him, Lord, I want to be a part of you. I mean it. You'll, you may feel that. We pray for you. We believe the Lord wants to be in a relationship with you. But maybe you need to find comfort in Christ. So let me pray, and then we're going to worship, and you're free to go after that. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you uh, have your word for us. I pray, Lord, that it changes our hearts. Um, and I really do, Lord, that we would anticipate your coming, that we would live a life that resembles and expects and shows that. Come, Lord Jesus, come, and help us to be busy with the things that are pleasing to you until that moment and until that day. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.